Hello, faithful listeners. This is Pastor John Cloudwater from Faith Lutheran Church here in Forest Lake, and we are so glad that you are listening online to our online podcast. Welcome you to worship anytime on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 10.30, and thanks for being here. Thanks for participating in worship with us as we look forward to the week ahead. A gospel reading from the second chapter of Luke. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child laying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. After eight days had passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was just, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. You may be seated. Well, grace and peace to you, my siblings in Christ. So on this first day of 2023, I, I find myself seeking wisdom for the coming year, studying different theologians and reflecting on what meanings they have that I can discern. And I know this might sound a little odd coming from a Lutheran pastor, but I spent a lot of time this week learning from Calvin. Oh, wait, not, not John Calvin. Calvin, Uh, the young cartoon character who goes on adventures with his stuffed tiger Hobbes. Uh, So Calvin, if you don't know about Calvin, Calvin always has some very thoughtful perspectives on life. He gets very philosophical, but he's also very uh, opinionated. He's got animated conversations with his stuffed tiger who only comes to life in his presence. Uh, Calvin, how shall I say this, Uh, he's also really, really naughty. Uh, He very rarely does the right thing. And so when it comes time to talking about things, he has some strong, strong opinions on them. And New Year's resolutions are one topic in particular that brings out some particular scorn within Calvin. For example, Hobbes asks him, Calvin, did you make any New Year's resolutions this year? He turns and says, resolutions? Me? Just what are you implying? That I need to change? Well, hey, buddy, as far as I'm concerned, I'm perfect just the way I am. Calvin doesn't want to make any changes. Why should he? So in another conversation, perhaps in another year, Calvin and Hobbes are walking in a winter wonderland when Calvin again gets deeply philosophical with his friend. And Calvin says, look, I asked Dad if he wanted to see some New Year's resolutions that I wrote. He said he'd be glad because he was pleased to see me taking an interest in self-improvement. To which Calvin said, I told him the resolutions weren't for me, they were for him. I can just imagine what would happen if my kids came and made resolutions for me, how I would feel. Not surprisingly, Calvin's dad wasn't very impressed. And so Calvin says, that's why we're outside right now. And Hobbes goes, I wondered why we were in such a hurry. It's easy to point the finger and look at how awful Calvin is, but at the same time, his outlook on life might be not too far from our own reality. 
might be our tendency to be able to point out other people's flaws really easily. Hey, this would be a great New Year's resolution for you. Yet, sometimes we need to look at ourselves. And I know that we can sometimes see our own flaws better than anybody else. And sometimes we are our own worst critic. But I think something that might prevent us from moving forward is this thought of, wow, it's just really hard to change. It's really hard to be able to make that sort of a difference. During Jesus' day, in fact, going all the way back to the days of Moses, some of Jesus' peers would take on a real change in their life. They would make a significant resolution. Sometimes it was because they wanted to, but other times it was because someone in their family made them do it. It was something called a Nazarite vow. Now, the process of taking this vow is spelled out in the book of Numbers. Number six, while the Israelites are on Mount Sinai before they reach the promised land. Now, this isn't something that everyone would do. And you could set it for a set time period. A vow would last for 30 days. Or you could take a Nazarite vow for the rest of your life. Think Samson. You know Samson and Delilah? Samson was the judge with a long hair who lost his strength when Delilah cut it. And it's because he loses, uh, it's because that's the breaking of his vow that he loses all of his strength. Now, this vow could be seen as an act of holiness, a way to be set apart. A vow could be taken because you've, you've done something wrong. It could be a response to sin. It could be an act of penance. And finally, the, this vow could be taken in order to defile the rest of the camp. A Nazarite vow could keep unclean persons away from others something that we are all too familiar with, quarantine. So taking this vow was a serious thing. It was serious business, and there were rules around it. And they were clearly spelled out in number six. First of all, you would abstain from wine, anything made from grapes. Second, you wouldn't be allowed to cut your hair, much like Samson, right? Uh, And finally, you couldn't go anywhere near a corpse. Even if a parent or a sibling died, you wouldn't be able to uh, go near their body in remembrance, because it would defile you. All their days as a Nazarite would have been considered holy to the Lord. So by taking this vow, you would be living and and you would know that you were blessed. And after we get this very detailed explanation in number six about what it meant to be a Nazarite and how to provide offerings at the end of your vow, it might be a surprise to us to know what passage comes right after this long explanation of the Nazarite vows. I'm going to give you a hint. It's probably one of the most familiar passages in the entire Bible to us because we say it in every single worship service. It's the priestly benediction, the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Wow, look at that. The Lord tells Moses to tell Aaron to tell the Israelites that they are blessed. So then they shall put my name, the Lord's name, on the Israelites and I will bless them. That name will be on their hearts. Think about it. Whether being made holy for life or taking this vow to step back from society for a month, 
This vow is powerful. When we come to church, we are not making a Nazarite vow. But this blessing, this benediction, is an important element of our liturgy, isn't it? Because it reminds us of two very, very important things. First, we are the Lord's. We have the name of God on our hearts. And, second, we are blessed. We can't take these things lightly. When taking a Nazarite vow, a person is choosing to live differently. I think on Name of Jesus Sunday, we remember that we have two names. We have our God-given name, but we also have God's name that we wear on our hearts. We are choosing to live differently. But we also have our God-given name. Deacon Nina did a nice job in the prayer lab, and if you noticed in your bulletin you had a handout today where you could put your name and then the meaning and why you received that name. Uh, you can use the back of the sheet too if you'd like, and depending on how many people uh, you want to put this, you could put multiple names on here. It'd be great to be able to hear some of those stories. What's the meaning of your name? What's the story about how you received it? And if you're not here with us in person today, but you're at home and you want to send this in via email, or if you're here and you want to think about it or do some research and say, yeah, here's some more of the details, uh, feel free to send it in via email at together at faithfl.org. I bet there's some good stories out there. And I encourage you to uh, share that story beyond your name. I think about my name, John, God's gracious gift. And my baptismal sponsors, when I was baptized, were the two influential Johns, my, my Grandpa John, as well as my Uncle John, which came forward and stood next to me as I was baptized. Think about how I wear that name. It's how I am identified. It's who I am. But as a Christian, I also wear a second name. I wear God's name through my baptism. I wear the name of the Lord as a reflection of who I belong to. And because I belong to God, shouldn't that be apparent in how I, John, am able to be viewed by the world? Shouldn't my neighbor be able to see what's on my heart when they see me? I would hope so. That famous theologian Calvin, again, has an interesting question on the subject about what's on our hearts. He asks Hobbes, Hobbes, do you think our morality is defined by our actions or by what's in our hearts? Wow, great question, isn't it? Hobbes thoughtfully suggests, I think our actions show what's in our hearts. Wow, I love that answer. Calvin is just floored. Wow. He's just sitting there, and Hobbes has nailed it. And so Calvin's thinking about it. And then guess what Calvin does? Calvin starts to think about his own actions. And they aren't very good. Hobbes, by answering correctly, has made Calvin self-aware of his own actions. And he doesn't like getting called out for this. And says, I resent that. Hobbes is right. Our actions can and do show what's in our hearts. It's what we aspire to each and every day. How can our actions show our neighbors what's on our hearts? We can do this by, by comforting the grieving, 
We can befriend the lonely. We can cheer up the depressed. But like Hobbes, we can also call out the self-absorbed. We can point out destructive behaviors for friends living in denial. We can advocate for the powerless by using our own power to make change. And when it comes down to it, we don't have to be perfect. Sometimes I think we think that. Our actions and sometimes our inactions aren't always going to match the best of what's in our hearts. But there's good news. You know what? Being a child of God and being a recipient of God's grace, it's like Calvin, it's like being Calvin on Christmas morning. Yeah, I want you to think about that. Because God loves us, we are like Calvin on Christmas morning. Ha ha, acquittal on all charges, complete exoneration. Ha ha ha. And from the other room, a loved one says, Merry Christmas to you too, dear. Despite our sinfulness, despite our flaws, we are exonerated. We are acquitted on all charges because Jesus loves us anyway and gives us the gift of eternal life through him, even though we don't deserve it. So, what do we do with that gift? Like a Nazarite vow? Like a humble family being told that the Messiah would be born to them? Like wise magi bringing gifts from afar? We bear this gift. We bear this on our hearts and our actions show what's in our hearts. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you, child of God. You get to carry the name of the Lord wherever you go. On this New Year's Day, may we resolve to have our actions demonstrate God's grace at work in our hearts and in our lives. What a blessing that is. Amen. We hope these words will strengthen you as you live out your daily life. If you would like to know more about Faith Lutheran, leave a prayer request, or financially support our mission and ministry, please go to our website at faithfl.org. May God bless you in the days ahead.